Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning, I am going to bring you a teaching, not so much a proclamation or a preaching, but a teaching. And I'm going to follow on. So if you have notebooks, take notes, because you might just learn something this morning. Last week, Pastor Andreas spoke on the roles and responsibilities of shepherd and the flock. What is the role of a shepherd or an elder? What is the role of the flock? And what a, you know, he laid that out so we get a better understanding of that. And it was actually wonderful. I think a lot of people despite being in church for years, actually have a misunderstanding of the roles and responsibilities, not just of the shepherds, but of the flock, that we all carry a measure of the weight and a measure of the responsibility. This morning, I want to speak to you about a biblical practice called the laying on of hands. Now, we're doing this on purpose. I want us to understand this principle because of what's going to be taking place in our fellowship next week. Next week, hands are going to be laid on couples. They're going to be commissioned into a new dispensation, if you like, into a new responsibility. And so it's good that we have an understanding of the principle of laying on of hands. Now, if you read the Bible, you will see that the expression and term is used many times. And in some times it's used, they laid their hands on him, in terms of the robbers took him and laid their hands on him and That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that kind of laying on of hands. We're not talking about the five-fold ministry. That's not it. We're We're talking about laying on of hands as an act where one person places his hands on another person with some definite spiritual purpose. And the act is normally accompanied by prayer or prophetic utterance. There's a purpose to it. So let me work you through some of the purposes or some of the reasons people lay on hands, and why it is practiced this way. I'll dance over some, and we'll spend a bit more time in others as they are more relevant to next week. But the first reason, and I'm sure you've all been familiar with this in one way or another, is laying hands on the sick to heal or to minister healing. Now, this is the primary way that Jesus functioned in his ministry when it came to healing the sick. Um, And when it came to commissioning his disciples to go out and to preach the gospel, Jesus instructed them to minister to the sick and heal them through the laying on of hands. We see it in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. These two portions of Scripture, along with two at the end of Matthew, are known as the Great Commission, where Jesus now sends his disciples, and he says, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they eat or drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So there was an idea or a teaching that Jesus said, when you go, go and lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now that's quite significant if you consider the time, and you consider how anybody who was sick or unclean or leprous, that was quite a big thing in those days, they were cast out. And you were not allowed to touch them. And if you did touch them, you had to go through a whole cleaning ritual and a cleaning ceremony. So Jesus sends out his disciples with such a level of authority and victory, even over these diseases that people fear, that he says, you go and you lay hands on them. You touch them. Because in that process, through that touch, healing is ministered. So the first reason 
I'm not going to spend too much time teaching on that today, is for the ministry of healing, to create a point of contact at which somebody's faith can be released. The second reason, or the second practice that we see in the Bible, is people laid hands for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just understand, laying on of hands is not the only way to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we look at Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, nobody laid hands on anybody. The Holy Spirit just came and fell. If we look at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who was the first Gentile to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, they were just there talking in the house, and the next thing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on them. So it's not a prerequisite to being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, it's interesting to note that in both the cases I have just mentioned, the people were not expectant of that happening. On the day of Pentecost, they were waiting for something they didn't quite know what. In the house of Cornelius, it caught everybody by surprise, even those who'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first disciples, like I said, were waiting on God, and the second disciples, they, they were Gentiles. Now, apart from these two occurrences mentioned above, the vast majority of cases where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is ministered, we see that happening in the New Testament, it was through the laying on of hands. I think one of the greatest examples is Philip went down, when persecution hit Jerusalem, Philip went down to Samaria and he started preaching the gospel. And people were being saved, they were being born again. And when the apostles heard what was going on, Peter and John went down to go and see what was happening. And it says, and they said, have you been filled with the Spirit? And they said, we don't know about that. But it says in Acts 17, sorry, Acts 8, 17, they laid hands on them, and they receive the Spirit. So you see, it's a practice of reaching out. It's a practice of the laying on of hands. The same principle with Saul of Tarsus. We know him well as the Apostle Paul, but before he became the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul from Tarsus. And you know the account that Jesus met with him on the road, and he saw a bright vision, and he was blinded. Do you remember the account? And so he was led back, and Jesus, uh, God spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Saul. And Ananias said, God, are you sure you've got the right guy? Saul, the one who persecutes those of the way. And he said, yes. So Ananias goes, and we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, And I, Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he laid hands on him and he received the Holy Spirit. We also see the same principle working itself out with the disciples at Ephesus, Acts 19.6. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Again, is this a prerequisite? Is this the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit? No. But when you are ministering to someone, lay hands on them that they may receive. You understand? It's a point of contact. It's a point at which something can be spiritually ministered or released. So we've looked at ministering to the sick. We've looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another, way, another purpose of the laying on of hands is to acknowledge and to impart spiritual gifts or grace or blessing, to acknowledge and impart spiritual gifts, grace, and blessing. 
Now, Timothy is a really good example of this. We see Paul twice reminding Timothy of an event that took place in his life many years before. Now, if you understand, Paul writes letters to Timothy because Timothy's now been appointed as a pastor. He's sent, Paul has sent Timothy to be a representation to him. And Paul is writing letters to Timothy to encourage him. In 1 Timothy, his first letter, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the eldership. So Paul's bringing his remembrance back to a moment in time, a set event when hands were laid on him and something was imparted to him. So we need to understand when it comes to the laying on of hands, it's a moment in time. It's a definite impartation. And that's important because it becomes a point of reference. Amen? In his second letter to Timothy, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. How did Timothy receive this gift of God? Through the laying on of Paul's hands. So we see a clear impartation that, take, that took place there where Paul reminds him of an event and of a measure of spiritual virtue that was imparted to him through the laying on of hands. So we see that impartation. Fourthly, the laying on of hands is also to set apart and commission individuals. And I'd like to say that number four and number three go together. We recognize, we pray for an impartation and an empowerment, and we set them apart for that particular task. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about appointment of official titles, but I first want to talk about this principle a little bit. And the principle is this. Public acknowledgement is very important. And that's part of what laying on of hands is. Public acknowledgement of a position, a function, or a title is very important in Scripture. Title in itself, less so. You see, I think today we spend a lot of time focusing on titles. Everybody wants to be a title. If you, if you go to certain parts, you'll find um, you know, you're apostle, prophet, doctor, evangelist, I often tease Pastor Andreas. You know, he started his ministry as an evangelist. He also functions strongly in the prophetic ministry, and, and today he serves mostly as an apostle. So what is he? Is he, is he evangelist? Is he apostle? Is he prophet? Ah, we just put them all together, and we call him a provangelostal. We've made a new title for him that we think fits the mold. The title in itself is not so important. What's important is function. Amen? Function. What is an apostle if he's not apostling? He's nothing. What is a pastor if he doesn't have a flock? He's a sheep. <laughs> Amen? So we talk about function here. However, what giving a title does is it gives recognition to a function that we can clearly identify it and open our hearts to it. So let's look at some examples here. When we look in the Bible in the Old Testament, we see Joshua was public, publicly acknowledged. We see King Saul publicly acknowledged, anointed with oil. We see David, the same thing. We see the same thing with Solomon. When it came time to hand over the kingdom, David called Solomon, and in front of everybody, he handed over the kingdom. And I want to say to you that we even see this in the life of Jesus. When Jesus, at the age of 30, goes to John the Baptist 
And John the Baptist says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, this is important. You need to baptize me. Why? Because in this, there is a public acknowledgement of something. We've got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then what happens? Jesus goes under the water. He comes up again. And an incredible public acknowledgement happens. God the Father descends on him. and The Spirit of God descends on him in the shape of a dove. And God speaks from heaven. He says, this is my son. Public acknowledgement, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Very important moment. And I want to tell you something. Although that that moment was important for everybody who witnessed it, I want to tell you the person for who it was most important was Jesus himself. To walk in a measure of boldness you need to know that that position belongs to you. To exert a measure of authority, you need to know that you've been authorized. And that is what this principle is about. It's interesting, Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes into into the temple and he announces himself as the Messiah. Luke chapter 4, it says, um, the Spirit is upon me, he's anointed me to heal the sick, to preach the good news to the poor, to... Uh, bind up the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives. And he basically closes the book and he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and he sits down in the seat reserved for Messiah. In other words, here I am. And the people rose up and said, Jesus, we've been waiting so long for you. We're so glad you came. No, that's exactly what did not happen. I think maybe Jesus, listen, why would Jesus do that? Do you think maybe he was expecting them to say, we recognize it? I don't know. Maybe he was, but that did not happen. So sometimes public acknowledgement goes well. Sometimes it comes with baggage and expectations. The greatest hindrance Jesus had in his ministry was the expectations of those God sent him to minister to. It's vitally important that people know who God has appointed and anointed for a specific function for three reasons. Number one, so that they can follow If I know God has called that man or that woman for a specific function, I can follow them. What does that mean? That means I can support them in their God-given mandate. I can encourage them. What does encourage mean? It means to put courage into them because leading is a a difficult job. And I can assist them. I can lend them my resources, my energy, my giftings. Number two, it's important that people know whom God has called so that we don't resist them. To resist the one sent by God is to resist God himself. And if we don't recognize whom God has sent to us or who God has appointed and called, we end up resisting the work that God wants to do in our lives and and through their ministry. And thirdly, so that we can receive the best that God has for us through that individual and their gift. Let's read a portion of scripture from Mark chapter 6, which will make this a lot clearer. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Talking about Jesus, it says... Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? And such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? So let's pause for a moment. What was their recognition or or estimation of Jesus? 
Their estimation of Jesus was just, this is the carpenter. We know this boy. He's just a normal guy like the rest of us. But Jesus said to them, sorry, and are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at Jesus. They could not receive what God sent to them because they did not receive the vessel through which God wanted to minister it. It's like God sends you a wonderful gift, but instead of a beautiful bow and, 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 and a beautiful box with glittery sparkles and things on it with a nice card, he sends it in a paper bag. That was John the Baptist. <laughs> Camel hair. Smelled of locusts and wild honey. And, ooh. and many people didn't receive. Likewise with Jesus, they didn't receive the vessel because they felt familiar with him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and his own house. And then this is the verse. This is the key. And he could do no mighty work there. Not he would not do. Jesus could not. Except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. The people's perception limited what they were able to receive. Again, we see the same principle, Jesus talking about it in Matthew 10, 40 to 41. He who receives me, and he, he who receives you, receives me, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. This is why acknowledgement is so important, because it opens up my heart to receive from God via a vessel all that God intends for me. So when we lay hands for this purpose, we publicly acknowledge and impart spiritual gifts, authority, and blessing. We recognize the person, we recognize the function, and we call it out, and we pray for a supernatural divine blessing, a seal, an impartation, that that person does not function in their own flesh, but that they function in the power of the Spirit. Folks, we can accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God without the power of the Spirit. Nothing. Jesus said you can do a whole lot of stuff, but nothing of significance without me. It's a process whereby we commit someone to God and His grace for that task or ministry. Let me take you to some Old Covenant scriptures to just bring this out again because it's important. This is, this is where I want to spend the time focusing this morning because this is what we're believing for next week. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18 through to 20 and 22 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you. He's the only man in the Bible apart from Adam who had no father and mother. A man in whom is the Spirit because he's the son of Nun. Either that or she was a naughty member of the clergy. I don't know. Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give, now notice this, you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him 
just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. In addition to that, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, I'll read this from the, the message translation, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So it didn't just happen. There was a process, an event in time, witnessed by a whole bunch of people in recognition where an impartation was given to a man. And because Moses laid hands on him, Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. And the people of Israel listened obediently to him and did the same as when God had commanded Moses. So in other words, their hearts had shifted to Joshua. And they understood that he was now God's appointed man to take them forward into the promised land. And in the same way that they followed Moses, they gave their hearts to following Joshua. Here we see three key things public, say, taking place. Number one, as I mentioned, public acknowledgement. Number two, transference of authority and wisdom. And number three, spiritual impartation and empowerment. Spiritual impartation and empowerment. Let me give you one more example from the New Testament. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they did what? They laid hands on them and sent them away. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So we see in this example again, God spoke, Holy Spirit led, hands were laid. For what purpose? To identify, to set these men apart, and to empower and encourage them on their way. And that brings us to point number five, the laying on of hands to ordain deacons and elders in the local church. This has to do with the impartation of authority, the recognition of authority. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. What we're dealing with here is people came to the apostles and they were complaining that in the distribution of the aid and of the food and of, of, of the resources that were given to the apostles and come and laid at their feet. You remember at the early church, the people came, they repented, they sold their stuff, they gave it to the apostles, and the apostles distributed the things. And an accusation came up from the Greek believers that the Jews were receiving what they were being neglected. And so the apostles said, look, it's not good for us to separate ourselves from ministry of the word, from time in prayer, to sort out these kinds of things. Appoint for yourselves members of good reputation who are filled by the Spirit, who can take care of the administration and the logistics of this need so that we can give ourselves to study of the Word and to prayer. And this pleased the people. So what happened is they chose a few people, Steve and Philip. They chose a whole bunch of... Philip, we'll get to the names now. Let's read it. Acts 6, 1 to 6. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanta. Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, 
whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They appointed them as deacons. As deacons. What are deacons? Those who are appointed to serve in the house. Now, it's interesting the people that they chose. They did not choose people and lay hands on them in order to make them deacons or to make them servants. They chose people who already had the heart and who were already functioning in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and laid hands on them to acknowledge the gifting that was already upon them, to impart a special measure of grace, to publicly acknowledge these as the servants who would be taking care of this area of ministry or function and release them into it with the blessing and the anointing of God. You see? Beautiful principle. We, we practice the same thing here at our fellowship. Nobody in our fellowship is a deacon so that we can get them to serve. A deacon isn't my license to a hotline. I'll make you a deacon and I can call you anytime, any day to do anything. For That's not a deacon. We give somebody the title of a deacon in acknowledgement of their continued service. You won't be surprised to find out how the de- who the deacons are here. Why? Because you see them all the time. They're always doing something. They're always involved in something. They're always pouring out of themselves in some way or another, serving the body. So through this act, the apostles publicly acknowledged these men, committed them to God, and transmitted a measure of spiritual grace. Important to note, deacons are appointed by elders. So the elders of a local church or everybody, of any church organizational body will appoint deacons. Elders are appointed by apostles. And apostles, in turn, are appointed by elders. And you see this beautiful symbiotic relationship. There's a guy called Alexander Fenter uh, from from the Vineyard Group. And when he talks about church leadership, he talks about a beautiful dance of love where everybody knows and understands their own role and function, and they're not in competition with one another, but they're working together to accomplish something. So if you see my wife and I dancing, although it may look like a competition of resistance, it's actually uh, simply because of our lack of skill in that area. Okay, I lie. Simply because of my lack of skill in that area. But when you see a couple dancing beautifully, there's no resistance there. Everybody knows their role and they they play their part. The man looks very silly doing it all by himself, as does the lady. But when they come together, there's unity, there's synergy, there's harmony, and it's beautiful. And that's also how leadership works within the body of Christ. Everybody has their role. Everybody has their function. And when we know what our function is and we can serve in it freely with boldness, hey, there's blessing that flows. Last point I want to make before I share one or two personal things is this, that the laying on of hands should not be taken lightly. And I say this as a caution. Not a warning, but a caution. 1 Timothy 5, 22, Paul warns his spiritual son, and says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins, but keep yourself pure. There's a couple of key elements to this. Number one, do not lay hands on anybody hastily. Do not be in a hurry to appoint somebody, to acknowledge somebody, to give somebody a title. Individuals must be tested before they are appointed. Must be tested. Let's see how they handle servanthood. Let's see how they handle hot water. Let's see what they do and how they behave when things in their lives are not going so so well. Let's see how they behave when people come and point an accusing finger at them. How do they handle that? How do they handle pressure? How do they handle stress? 
How do their personal lives look? What do their marriages look like? What do their finances look like? What do their kids look like? All of these kinds of things you check before because it's very easy to lay hands on somebody. It's very difficult to unlay hands on somebody. And if you ever do come to a point where you have to unlay hands on somebody, what does that mean? That means that somebody has to be taken out of a position of influence. Somebody has to be separated from a task or a function because of a personal uh, weakness, because of a, a, a falling into sin, because of whatever the reason may be. If and whenever that needs to happen, it does not happen without rending, without tearing, without pain, and without disappointment. Is it possible? Yes, ministers can step down. There comes times when we should be separating pastors and say, listen, you need to focus on your life right now and you've got some stuff going on there. Get that sorted out. This isn't a judgment. This is done in love. But when people, when, when, when those who are called to lead fall, if they, are under authority, if they are under authority, we're talking about legitimate people who have had, had hands laid on them by legitimate authority. So the point is just this. We don't do it hastily. And number two, it says don't share in anybody's sins. In other words, folks, don't let just anybody lay hands on you. There's something that is known as or called the transferring of spirits. And in a real sense, what it is, is this. You can catch what I've got. What is on me will come upon you. And so I'm not saying be afraid to go up on a prayer line. I'm not saying... Don't do it unless you know the person well and you yourself have checked out their history. There is a measure of basic trust that we give. But listen to the Holy Spirit in the process. Sense the atmosphere in the room. Know who it is that's laying hands on you. And this has two implications. Number one, a spiritual impartation. Sometimes you go and there's people who are ministering and laying hands and ministering healing or, or baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the one aspect that we need to just know. We need to be cautious and we need to be careful. The other aspect is this. There are many ministers out there today who call themselves pastors, doctors, apostles, prophets, who are running around with titles because somebody laid hands on them, and that somebody who laid hands on them has never had hands laid on him, and should. That's the first kind of laying on of hands I was telling you about earlier on. Because God is a God of order. God works through lines of authority. And that's how God does things. And when there is order, and when authority is clear, and everybody knows what they're called to do, there is blessing and there is harmony. As we approach our special commissioning service next week, there's some things that I'm expecting and that I think we together should be praying into. I want to ask you, let's pray into this, and that we should all be coming expectant to receive. Number one, spit-bry lamb. I'm expectant, folks. Don't put that in your notes, though. Number two, I mean, number one, number one, we're expecting to see a public acknowledgement and appointment of those whom God has called and prepared for special ministerial function. Now, let me explain special ministerial function to you one more time. Any special ministerial function has to do not with, not so much with authority as it does responsibility. When somebody is authorized to do a job, that means they're responsible for the outcomes. Amen? 
Number two, we're expecting a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and an empowerment for the task. It's very interesting when you look at Moses handing over to Joshua. You know the scripture. God says to Joshua over and over again, Joshua 1 verse 8 and 9, Be bold and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be bold, be very courageous. When, when, when Solomon, uh, David hands over the kingdom to Solomon, he says, Be bold and courageous. Know the God of your father. But there's a key note in both of those things. God says to Joshua, As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And God says to Solomon, as I was with your father David, I will be with you. And the boldness and the assurance comes not from one's personal ability, not even from an anointing or a gifting. It comes from the knowledge that God is with me. God said something so beautiful to me this week. I'm still trying to meditate on it and get my head around me. He said, boldness is not bravery or courage in the face of danger. Boldness is knowing that I've heard God speak and I've discerned his voice correctly. Because in that place, I have the courage and the faith to do anything because I've heard God speak. So he's praying for special spiritual impartation in prophetic words. We're praying for an impartation of grace, like I said, and blessing and the transference and responsibility of, or the transference of authority and responsibility. Would you mind if I shared what you and I spoke about on a very SMS that one Saturday morning? I want to share just a personal testimony to round this out. So next week, Helen and I are going to be standing before you taking on the responsibility of leading this fellowship as the shepherds of this flock. Stephen and Nicole are going to be joining us on the team of elders. Mom and Dad are still going to be serving on that team of elders they're going to be providing oversight and apostolic alignment to us. But a few weeks ago, after we came back from the sending, we're sitting in my office there. Siobhan's there, Stephen's there, I'm there, Pastor Frank is there. And Pastor Andreas says, what did you all receive from the conference? What did you all receive from the sending? Stephen shared his heart, and I mean, he shared his testimony here already with you and how he was impacted, and Siobhan shared. And I said, you know, Dad, the biggest thing that I received from the conference, the thing that most touched and moved me was how I saw God work and move in the lives of all those young people. That's the greatest thing I came away with. And he said, yeah, I was afraid of that. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yes, I had a dream about you, that you were so worried about everybody else that you missed what God wanted to do in and for you. And I said, wow, maybe that's true. That could well be true. I was pretty preoccupied with all your... God began speaking to me that week very powerfully in, in shifting my heart because, as many of you know, my testimony, all those years ago, God spoke to me and he said, Michael, I want you to be Elisha to that man. I want, and when, I, when I understood what that meant is, I want you to be a servant. I want you to make your life about serving him. Orientate everything he wants. It's, it's a case of your wish is my command kind of thing. Serve the man with excellence and with all your whole heart. And my heart had been so established and so that, that identity had been so rooted in my heart that for the past few years there's been an internal battle going on within me. Where Pastor Andreas has said, Michael, the pulpit's yours now. I don't preach until you tell me to. I won't preach unless you ask me to. You have freedom. You can do whatever it is that you want. You, you are leading it little by little. I mean, I've given you, I gave you my daughter. <laughs> I've given you the 
church, I've given you the pulpit. I've got nothing left. Like Elisha, I'm not leaving you. I'm still sticking around. But my heart was so orientated on being a servant that even in the space of leading, even in this space, I would do nothing without first wanting to check. Because this isn't mine, this is his, and I'm never wanting to do something that will be a step out of that, step that will displease or dishonor in any way, that will, that, will, that will put my flavor to the point that it will bring displeasure to his palate. Does that make sense? And one Saturday morning a few weeks ago, I was praying about it, and God said to me, Michael, what's the difference between a servant and a son? You call yourself a son, you function as sonship, but what's the difference between a servant and a son? And he answered the question. I'm very glad because I was... Um, and he said this, a son takes liberties. And he reminded me of the difference between Stephen and I when we go to Pastor Andreas's house. If I want anything in Pastor Andreas's house, I mean, I'm a son there. I'm, I'm a son, I'm part of the family. I have no issues with my identity there. But I still think twice just before helping myself to something. I ask permission. Stephen, however, when he walks in, he makes a beeline for the fridge. He doesn't even ask. He doesn't ask. He takes liberties. In fact, if you'd ask him, he'd say... It's my fridge. <laughs> and God was saying, Michael, being a son is about taking liberties. Now, I understand some people take too many liberties and they need to be pushed back into their place. God was saying to me, Michael, your heart will always be to serve, but right now your primary ministry is shifting. And as I was ministering these things with Dad over a message, he sent me an SMS that if I could say summarizes sonship better than any, any quote or any statement I've ever heard, a statement that summarizes the past 18 years of my life and the journey that I have walked into one sentence, it's this. He said, Michael, in the same way that you entrusted your life to me all those years ago, I now need to entrust you with my life's work. And I went, wow. That's incredible. Did you get the weight of that? That somebody's been laboring in a field for, all, for years and years and years, working up to build something. And I sometimes think how hard it must be to step into this role. But how much infinitely more difficult must it be to let go and release that which you've given your life to building? That's inheritance. This is what spiritual sonship is all about. And so I'm in awe. I am blessed. I am grateful. More than words could say. I know I often try and communicate that to my parents. Because I know that I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for them. If it wasn't for this journey of 18 years of ups and downs. Of putting up with all my nonsense, my weakness. In the early years, pulling me straight. Literally, sometimes. Those early, early days when I was getting my head around what it meant to be a servant. And when his car ran, came in, I would run outside just to carry a bag, just do whatever I could through all these years and all these journeys. I'm very grateful to God because He is the source. He's the one who, who, who I'm living for. He's, he's my minister. He's my provider. He's my God. He's my everything. But I'm amazed at how he's revealed himself to me through mom and dad. And how I understand his father's heart, how I understand so much more, and just how I've grown over these years. I wasn't intending necessarily to do this, but 
That's, and this is what next week is all about. So when we come to a point of laying on of hands, I want you to understand the magnitude of this. That it's a father saying to his son, as you trusted me with your life for all these years, I'm now going to trust you with everything I've built. Be responsible. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.